And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is a Thursday. That means Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning to talk about the Fed, who's talking about the Delta variant which is also now impacting the Olympics, right? I mean, it's it's all coming together, right? The feds now, Jerome Powell noting yesterday is like, well, we have to get everybody vaccinated because we've got to get back to economic recovery. Yet the CDC is coming out saying we should all go back inside, uh, even if you're vaccinated. And of course, the Olympics struggling to keep athletes actually in the game. They're getting tapered, by the way, <laughs> by the Delta variant. <laughs> So, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but it's all quite, uh, quite interesting the way we look at it. But yeah, so the big conversation, of course, today is we'll have Michael Leibowitz on talking about what the Fed said yesterday. Uh, it is now expected by Nordia Bank that the Fed could actually announce taper as early as September. So, again, this is going to kind of be the question, considering that, you know, over the last really 10 years, the whole bullish premise behind the market has not really been so much about earnings growth or expectations. It's really just been about as long as the Fed's buying, uh, you know, putting money in the markets, they're buying bonds, got to buy stocks. So again, as we look back, whenever the Fed has tapered their balance sheet, well, markets tend not to perform so well. So may, maybe are we getting closer to the end? of this particular phase of the bull market. And then, of course, what happens next is going to be the question. But a few things to go into. Uh, interesting story out, the two uh, earnings stories out this morning. Ford, uh, which is a company that we own in our portfolios, announced really, really good earnings yesterday. And, of course, reservations uh, have now topped $120,000 for their Ford Lightning pickup truck. So, Again, um, you know, there was a talk for a while about the Tesla pickup truck that kind of faded and, and now Ford, which uh, has the best selling pickup truck in the country, uh, the Ford F-150. Uh, now people starting to migrate over and starting to talk about buying the uh, Ford Lightning, right? The Lightning 150, which is electric vehicle. The other interesting story was Comcast. Of course, you know, lots of talk there for a couple of years uh, a while back talking about how everybody was going to cut their cable and they were just all going to go to being just online viewing right to hulu and netflix whatever it is and cable companies were doomed well they just reported blowout earnings for comcast beat estimates in revenue both at the top and the bottom line and added 354,000 new subscribers in the last quarter to the comcast cable system so again uh you know just the point here is that the death of cable may have been a little bit premature in that announcement because as people are starting to figure out by the time that you add 15 or 20 different viewing services it's about the same as buying a bundle from cable <laughs> so <laughs> you might actually wind up saving some money um and, and plus you still have to go to comcast to get your internet <laughs> so you don't really get away from it um outside of that though of course uh, markets did uh, rally a little bit yesterday uh closed up for the day uh, just mildly, but if you know, you know, if you kind of notice the action over the last couple of days in particular, despite the fact that we're getting blowout earnings from Apple and Microsoft and all these other companies, and we've got a lot of big announcements this afternoon, as we talked about last week, this week in particular is kind of the big week for the S&P 500 earnings. But yet the market really hasn't done a whole lot. We haven't set new highs here, uh, despite the fact the market's been trying to rally here a bit, kind of muster a rally, really haven't set new highs here at all over the last couple of days. And, and that's not surprising considering the very sharp run-up that we had coming into this week. So a lot of people have really kind of run in and bought stocks in anticipation of their expected earnings. But the companies really aren't getting, for the most part, and again, there's some companies that are getting well rewarded for their earnings. AMD, as an example, yesterday um, had really, really good earnings on their announcements. So stock kind of started out flat in the morning, um, was up 7% at the end of the day, kind of took a little while to build momentum. But a few stocks are getting very much rewarded for their very good earnings, but a lot of companies aren't. You know, Apple had really just great earnings uh, as a function. Uh, Outlook wasn't that great because of potential chip shortages but stock was uh, sold off yesterday. So again, you know, a lot of these stocks had run up in price well in advance of their earnings. So 
it, you know, it's kind of hard to, to generate a lot of excitement at that point. But again, as we kind of move forward over the next few weeks, we've still got more and more earnings coming. Um, but the peak of earnings, really, the earnings announcements this week and next week, that's going to be roughly about 80% of the S&P. Not surprisingly, the beat rate for earnings are off the hook right now. I mean, it's just we've got a very high level of beat rate on earnings, and that's not surprising either, considering that, A, we're talking about year-over-year comparisons to really a very, very weak quarter uh, this time last year. Of course, that was in the, in the very early stages of the economic shutdown and no, no revenue and activity at all, so to speak. So the comparisons are very easy on a year-over-year basis. And so not surprising that companies and a high percentage of them are beating their estimates. But estimates are already starting to come back down here for 2022. So we're starting to see those, those forward earnings starting to ratchet back in here a bit. And as earnings growth kind of starts to, we uh, sorry, economic growth begins to weaken through the rest of this year and into next year in particular, uh, those estimates are going to have to, have to come down uh, uh, quite a bit more. So again, there's been a lot of support here for markets just in terms of earnings here shortly, but that still doesn't solve the valuation problem. Even with these explosive earnings that we're having, valuations still remain very elevated, 27, 28, 29 times forward earnings, not to mention about 35 times trailing earnings. So markets remain very expensive because prices have run up well in advance of earnings. So again, this whole this, this whole advance in the markets that we've had over the last, really this 100% advance from the March 2020 lows have absorbed basically all of the earnings that the uh, S&P can generate at this point and have already priced that in. So this is gonna become a bit more challenging as we go into the last half of this year and particularly into next year to maintain these valuations if the economy does slow down because earnings simply are, are gonna have a real tough time trying to expand what we call multiple expansion. And that's where we continue to get multiples on stocks to expand. And when you look at companies right now, like Nvidia trading at 24 times price to sales, take a look at Apple and others that are trading at you know, 10, 11, 12, 15, 20 times price to sales. These are very, very, very expensive valuations in terms of each dollar of revenue that these companies are bringing in. Yeah, I know we look a lot at bottom line, but if you're paying more than two times sales, um, that's really kind of the, the one big issue that you need to look at in terms of valuation. At two times price to sales, you can maintain that you know, valuation of the company longer term. Once you start getting it to 10 times price to sales, 20 times price to sales, that means you're gonna to have to grow revenue at clips of three or 400% a year, pay nothing out, no expenses, no payroll, no nothing, just to try to maintain that price to sales valuation. And that's something that companies simply can't do. Scott McNeely back in 2000 with Sun Micro made a very salient point talking about why the heck are you buying my stock at 10 times price to sales, of course, it was only a couple years later that Sun Micro <laughs> uh, really wasn't around much anymore. So again, these are the things that we're doing. And, and of course, we offload this, and this is what we're gonna talk about with, the, with Michael Leibowitz here in a second. We offload the very basis of valuation, why we invest onto the Fed. And we say, hey, as long as the Fed's got my back, valuations don't matter. That's probably true. And it is, and it has been true. The question is, will it remain true if the Fed starts to taper? We'll talk about that with Michael Lee, what's coming up after the break. Don't go away. Listening to the Real Investment Show. The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
small businesses are now being challenged by the lack of employees and how to attract and recruit the best employees. To get the better employee, you'll have to offer a better package. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Don't assume a 401k plan is too costly or complicated for your small business to offer. Let us show you how to make the most of an affordable and effective plan that will deliver true value for your business and your employees. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. As the economy begins to recover from the pandemic, a new normal can still include new obstacles. A severance package can be an emotional as well as financial decision to consider. Wouldn't it be comforting to review the options for you and your family with an objective financial partner? At RAA Advisors, we're here to help. From severance pay tax timing decisions to maximize unemployment benefits, the RAA team wants to make sure you can do what's best. There's no charge for consultation. Reach out to RIA Advisors, 855-RIA-PLAN, riaadvisors.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Manage risk and volatility rather than trying to manage gains. You don't have to be right all the time. Long-term investing success is a 70% gain. Let us help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors. 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to the Real Investment Show. Baby shot. Baby shot. Baby shot. Baby shot. Mommy shot. Mommy shot. Mommy shot. Mommy shot. Daddy shot. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, it is uh, Thursday, which means that. Uh, Michael Leibwich joins us this morning, and uh, he is live from vacation. Now, this is how dedicated this guy is to the show, right? On vacation, at the beach, he shows up. <laughs> so. but, but not fully dedicated. I, <laughs> not- forgot my Fed, I forgot my Fed shirt, and it's the day after the Fed, and I, I hope Brent's not crying. No, no. I feel it's okay. awful. It's all right. You, <laughs> you have a T-shirt on, so that's that's the important thing, right? Right. <laughs> so, uh um, so a couple of things, uh, interesting, you know, as you know, we kind of listened a little bit to the fed announcement yesterday, Jerome Powell, of course, uh, having his, uh, television presser after their kind of their meeting announcement, uh, you know, surprise, uh, they did not raise interest rates. Uh, that was not, you know, expected to happen at all. And what everybody was really more attuned to was what's he going to do about, taper um are you know and qe in particular because that's the whole support for the financial markets is that you know this 120 billion dollars a month and you've been saying now for a couple of months that you kind of expect them to start talking about taper potentially even in the housing market on the mortgage side because of what's happening with housing prices and his announcement yesterday kind of alluded uh exactly to that point that they may start you know, talking about actually tapering sooner or later. Nordia Bank had a chart out this morning expecting that they could announce actual taper by as early as September. That would be the Jackson Hole Summit. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I. you know, it, it's kind of mixed. So the Fed put out a statement at about 2 o'clock, and the statement read, just like every other statement, they changed a few words, but there was one sentence they added to it. <laughs> and the statement was they were making progress towards their goals. And for a long time, they said, as we make progress towards our goals, we'll consider tapering. And it wasn't it was the combination of that statement of that one line it was literally one sentence. But where they put it so that the, it usually starts off with the economy is doing well and this is going on in the economy. And then it gets kind of into inflation and employment and Fed policy and the Fed policy part says something to the effect that, you know, we will continue to buy 120 billion a month and keep interest rates at zero and blah, blah, blah. But embedded in that right after the QE section of we'll continue to buy 120 or 80 billion of treasuries and 40 billion of mortgages, that's where they inserted that line. So they're insinuating that progress towards the goal and taper are linked and that they're making progress. So that to me was a signal that the Fed is closing in on tapering. Mm-hmm. Then you get to Fed Powell's uh, uh, tra- uh, speech and, uh, you know, questions, and he was about as dovish as could be, meaning that it didn't seem like 
he said he would signal before tapering. So was that a signal? <laughs> I mean, this is this is the this, problem this with is the, the Fed. Game. It's a game, and they do the, They play this game on purpose. Now today, there's going to be a bunch, or today, tomorrow, Monday, mm-hmm. bunch of Fed speakers. Some of them are going to say we need to taper immediately. Some of them are going to say we don't need to taper this year, and they're going to be all over the map. Some have quote more importance than others. Some carry more weight than others. And the game continues. And you're going to see some headlines that we need to stop buying mortgages. Right. Right. We're, we're juicing the housing market. Right. So, you know, the game continues. But the statement, I think, made a relevant step. And per Nordia's discussion or, or outlook, it's hard to see it. Not that I would say that can happen. But they, uh, you know, given where markets are, I would think they'd want to give the markets a little more time to yeah. digest it, which would have meant that they would have said something a little more concrete yesterday or potentially in the next week or two, Lance. But that has to come out of Powell's mouth. Right. Well, you know, but it's been interesting. I mean, Powell has really, you know, has had a tough time with these press conferences after their meetings. Um, he's been asked specific questions and he flutters and fumbles and, and stutters and, you know, doesn't really answer the question directly because there are, there are certainly issues within the economy. I mean, look, what's going on with housing prices, an example of 18% month over month. I mean, it's just been a, a very big impact in the housing market in particular, um, in terms of price acceleration because of what's happening with mortgage rates now. Um, also, you know, and, and the stock market side, right? We've got this very low volatility advance. The market's up 100% from the lows in 2020. And as the Fed, you almost have to ask yourself, you know, it, it would seem to me that if you're sitting in the room with all the Fed members going, hey, look, you know, this market's up 100% from the lows. Hey, we did our job, right? We bailed out the financial markets. We created stability. We, we, we had the best loan performance of any recession historically throughout history, right? I mean, there was right. virtually no defaults during a recession, which is, that's what the recession's for, is to get rid of all the dead wood, the bad performing loans, et cetera. They didn't solve any of that, right? They, they kept right. loan performance at a very high level. So they should be saying, you know, we need to start kind of stepping this back a bit because again, what happens after this? And, and this was a, a point I made on Twitter this morning. If you take a look at the total actual monetary fiscal input into the economy. It's over $8 trillion. We've got roughly a $19 trillion economy, right? That's 46% of fiscal stimulus to GDP ratio. Of course, you got a a booming economy. The question is going to be what happens next year when all this fiscal impulse recedes? And and that's where the Fed's kind of leaving themselves vulnerable at this point. They don't have any room to back up. Well, the problem is you have a booming economy, mm-hmm. right? right? We have that's part of the big problem is that the economy shouldn't be booming and the producers of goods and services are can't meet the demand. Part of it's because of COVID and all the supply line stuffs. But a lot of them don't want to increase what they're putting out of their factories because they know it's temporary. So you create they purpose not purposely, but as a result of everything they did, created these massive mismatches. Right, and that's why you know there's you know I went to go look at Ford Explorers a couple of weeks ago. There was one on the lot. <laughs> there were six of the new electric Mustangs. There were like maybe twelve cars on a whole Ford dealer lot. Right, right, and and I've been noticing that as I've been driving around, a lot of these lots, car lots, are half empty. And in the grocery store, I mean, these are examples we can all see. I went, we went shopping Sunday night. Now it's Sunday night in a beach town, so it's not necessarily fair. Plenty of shelves were empty, yep. like just empty, or there was one or two things on them. Now, you know, again, Sunday night, it's tough, but the supply of goods just can't make it. And, and those that can produce, I don't think are, many are willing to produce enough because they're scared of, of oversaturating the market. Right. And look, that's a, that's a great point. My wife uh, traveled yesterday down to Port Arthur um, where she had a contract where they work on selling liquefied natural gas and she's working with a company there. And this was actually very fascinating. They have, they, they create eucalyptus uh, paper, Right, which is these kind of thick papers of made out of the eucalyptus plant, which are then sent to companies like Kimberly Clark, etc., which convert those into toilet paper. 
And what she, he was, the guy was talking about, he said, during, the, during the, the shutdown where everybody, we had like this toilet paper shortage, there was no toilet paper shortage. There was plenty of, he had, they had warehouses full of these eucalyptus rolls ready to go to plants to be processed into toilet paper, but there were no workers because everybody was at home. Right. Right. And so right. that's, so to your point, I mean, that's a great example of, you know, this impact of these supply chain shutdowns. And now we're talking about doing it again, potentially for this Delta variant. So, you know, right. that's not, that's not a great outlook for the economy, but you know, that's part of all this, right? The, between the economic shutdown and the Fed, we've created all these distortions in the economy short term that are going to work themselves out. And so inflation is going to become deflation. Economic growth is going to slow sharply. And again, if the Fed's doing $120 billion a month and they haven't tapered yet and interest rates are at zero, what are you going to do if the economy does slow down? Well, and that's something very interesting that he talked about. I mean, the, the what they're hanging on on the reason they're not tapering, the reason they're not lowering, they're not raising rates is because of employment. You know, an employment rate is almost double. The unemployment rate is almost double what it was before COVID. But the number of jobs available, there's enough jobs for every person if all those jobs available are oh, actual jobs yeah. and all those people want to work. Right. Right. So. We're at this isn't in the Fed's control anymore. And he sort of alluded to it. He said something to the effect that, well, people want to find new jobs and people are looking to do different things. I'm like, that's great. That's not in the Fed's purview. If people don't want to work for whatever reason, mm -hmm. keeping monetary policy obscenely, obscenely aggressive is not the way to fix this problem. And you end up with more mismatches in the economy. And this is what happens when Jerome Powell speaks. He has a notebook in front of him like this. <laughs> and you can see someone asks him a question and he'll look down and sometimes he'll even turn a page and he'll say, well, the answer to that is, you know, X, Y, Z. And we're pretty confident. And he'll keep looking down like that. Sometimes someone will throw him a, a not a good question, but a better question. And he doesn't have notes for it. And that's where you get the true Jerome Powell, mm -hmm. where there's a little bit of bumbling and it's not all coherent. <laughs> Every time he answers mortgage questions. Yeah, it's, it's, more like a, it's, it's, it's more like a Biden speech when he answers mortgage questions. It, it's just incoherent. <laughs> it's not incoherent, but it's not, he doesn't answer it. It's like any politician when you say, what do you think about the color green? Well, first, let's talk about yellow and blue, because those are really great colors and you never get to green. <laughs> But it's true. No, this is very true. And this is, but, but again, this is where the deviation though becomes, and this makes it hard for investors. So let's, let's bring this back to the markets. And when we come back after the break, let's talk specifically about where we are in the markets and potentially what this means, because, you know, we've got a fed that, and, and again, you know, they're at max capacity They're They are buying, uh, they are monetizing almost the entirety of the debt issuance. It's, Yesterday, um, the plans for the Democrat $3.5 trillion next stimulus bill may have hit a brick wall, as one of the Democrat uh, senators said, yeah, I'm not really going to vote for that. So, you know, this becomes a challenge if there's not a lot more, if there's a lot, not a lot more debt being issued. The Fed's going to have a problem continuing to, to buy $120 billion a month in debt if that debt isn't being issued by the Treasury. We'll come back with Michael Leibowitz after the break. We'll talk about the Fed and specifically the markets and the outlook from here. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com. Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. 
we can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management. It's not a choice, it's necessity. Diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com. We have completely slaughtered the English language now. Swimply, really, just to get a .com name, we <laughs> we start coming up. With, let's misspell every word in the English language so we can get it on a .com address. The Real Investment Show podcast from your favorite service. Same show, your schedule. I'm just trying to make a point here that people can go and get their head around a bit. At realinvestmentadvice.com. Have the market's gyrations made you nervous? If so, it's because you have more risk in your portfolio than you realize. It's time to reevaluate your long-term investing strategy with RIA Advisors. Our disciplined approach can help eliminate unnecessary risk. We do that by having both a buy and sell discipline. Does your advisor do that? If you think it's time to work with an advisor who puts your interests first, it's time for real investment advice. RIA Advisors, 855-RIA-PLAN. Real Investment Show podcasts are now available from Stitcher Smart Radio. Listen anyplace, anytime at Stitcher.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. It's a quick and easy application. Just simply click Ask a Question at realinvestmentadvice.com or give us a call at 855-RIA-PLAN. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio shows, subscribe. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I guess that uh, intro music's appropriate. La Vida Loca with Michael Leibowitz uh, on the beach this morning. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, change gears here just a bit. Stay with the Fed for a moment. Let's change gears. Talk about the impact to the markets. Um, you know, again, markets are, you know, very extended here, very overbought. Um, we've talked about this for a while. It's been a very low volatility advance, something that is important to pay attention to because when we have low volatility advances, in other words, there's very few days where you have a drawdown in the market. If you do have a drawdown, they don't last very long. In fact, uh, the interesting chart out this morning uh, from B of A Research, I believe, um, they actually looked at the length of the time that markets are drawing down versus the time that those drawdowns are fully recovered. And that length of time is now the shortest on record. So again, kind of retail dip buyers coming in, you know, buying every dip, running prices up. And this, But this has all been promulgated by this idea that, well, the Fed's got my back, right? There's this insurance policy. And so if we change the insurance policy, and this is kind of the, the real question, that changes the outlook for the markets. So as investors, you know, what do we need to be looking for potentially that may start to actually, you know, kind of erode that bullish exuberance in the markets and potentially set up for a big, bigger correction? Right. So I think what's interesting, Lance, when I kind of think about this, like, why does the Fed matter so much? Because I think the market gives them a little more credit for moving markets than they than they really do in in their actions, right? Mm -hmm. But where we talk about when we look at markets, we look at two things, two broad categories: technicals and fundamentals. Fundamentals are earnings and cash flows, and the underlying business. Technicals is really a quantitative description of sentiment, 
It's of where people are buying, where they're selling. It, it, it tries to put all these lines. They, they look like they're just lines, you know, just <laughs> random lines, but they really help describe the sentiment of of stocks, bonds, name it, right? N anything. Um, so you can t kind of think about the Fed the same way. They have a massive psychological impact on the market. And their actions, regardless of what they're doing and, and knowing that they're not buying stocks, right? They're not buying stocks. Mm -hmm. They're not – they're buying bonds. They're, they have a massive effect on the market, both to the up and the down. That's the psychological just like that is the technical, right? So right now in stocks, we're dealing with technicals. We know the fundamentals are out of control. You were talking about price-to-sales ratios right. that are just off the charts that are higher than Sun Microsystems, which – I don't know if they still exist, but they ain't what they used to be, right? <laughs> right. And and we're kind of talking about the same thing with the Fed. There's the reality and the psychology. And the reality is is that they are nearing a regime change, right? They're telling mm -hmm. us that. We know that. Everyone knows it. Now it's a game of chicken. Will they do it like Nordia thinks in September? Will they surprise us in late August? Will they wait till next March? And it's not what they're doing. I mean, a little bit of it is what they're doing, but a large chunk of it is the psychology behind them. Does the Fed have my back as much in September as they do today? And if I don't think they do, I'm not going to wait till September. I got to start selling. Well, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, my technically speaking article for next Tuesday is talking specifically about this, which is it's, it's titled "Past Performance is a Guarantee" with a question mark. Because you know, one of the things that we always hear about is, is people look at, at, at some you know investments like, "Wow, this stock is up 300% over the last year." So we extrapolate that to think it's just going to keep going up. And so you always hear the statement, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. But this is the idea, right? That, you know, retail investors are going, well, you know, in the past, as long as the Fed's engaged, then stocks go up. So I'm just going to assume they're going to keep going up at this rate, you know, and, right. you know indefinitely. Um, the problem is the smart money institutions are going to start working their way out of the markets. They're going to start selling off to retail investors saying, OK, hey, if you want them, <laughs> that's that's why right. they call retail investors bag holders. Here's the bag. Um the problem for retail investors, unfortunately, is is they're they're not going to start moving out of the markets until after the Fed says, oh, not only are we thinking about tapering, we just tapered. And the markets are going to decline sharply at that point. And then when that occurs, then they'll start getting out. But, you know, this is this is going to be the real challenge is trying to determine when that shift is actually occurring and right. when it when when's there is a difference between having a dip that you should buy versus the dip that continues to dip. Exactly, exactly. And that's why we'll look at stocks and we buy stocks that we know are very expensive because the sentiment, the psychology mm. behind it is very good. And we have to kind of hold our nose and say, look, we understand we're overpaying, but we think we're going to sell it to someone that's going to overpay more. And that that's, that is investing. And it's always been that balance between technicals and fundamentals. And that's the way we have to treat the Fed in the situation. It's the balance between the reality of what they're doing and the psychology of what they're doing. And it's very important. And that's why we talk about the Fed all the time. That's why we that's why inflation and that's why employment are so big, because the Fed has told us that that's what they care about. They don't want they want to make sure inflation doesn't overheat, but they want to get employment back to where it was. And so we have to now dive into every employment number. We have to break down CPI into its minuscule pieces and understand what the prices of biscuits are doing and ho-hos and, yeah. you know, everything. Right. Well, um, I'm not sure, you know, you know, how, how, you know, we look at this, but it's interesting from the federal federal reserve standpoint is, is that, you know, full employment used to be basically, you know, 5% unemployment, right? You've got 95% of the economy effectively, you know, working. So there's always going to be people that don't want to work, right? They just, they, they don't want to be part of labor force. They've quit, they've retired, whatever. Um, and so five, 6% unemployment was never, it was always kind of considered full employment. Now we had this kind of a, 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 a you know, this abnormal unemployment rate uh, because of all the stimulus and the extremely long economic cycle that we had in the 2010s, we got down to 3% unemployment. And now the Fed is saying, oh, we got to get back to that. But that's almost an abnormal level of full employment. And the question is, is, is really kind of twofold here. Is the Fed 
being too optimistic about employment and what it's going to look like in the future and you know in inflation that's the you've got an article out on inflation yesterday and and those are kind of the two big questions you know are they misreading these yes. these two major indicators yes let's talk about employment really quick first if they were correct that that 3% employment was maximum there right. should have been much more wage growth right it's mm -hmm. about supply and demand and if they can't get enough workers wages should have been rising and they weren't so you know again it's it's this calculation problem and they have the, the participation rate wasn't rising despite the fact that everyone had a job right so so we know there's a problem now inflation is even more interesting and Jerome Powell looks like did the same the same work that we did for my article yesterday basically we went into CPI and there's 366 line items within CPI and those get broken down you'd be shocked how far down they go it like I, I joked earlier about biscuits but that's actually a line item you know there's there's 12 different types of energy there, but is there a line it, for ho-hos no but okay. I'll, I'll put in a request I'll see what I can do for you <laughs> <laughs> do they even still make ho-hos um, so 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 what we did was we went into those that that massive database and we said, OK, let's break it down as far in each category as we can go. So in grains. So you go to food, food at home. Uh, I forgot what it was called, like snack foods or or grain. I think it was grains. Then you go to like it goes it keeps going down and down till you get to biscuits till you get to coffee till you get to some some very concrete items other ones are not so concrete like shelter is about 30 percent and it's basically broken down between rent and and owner's equivalent rent which attempts to get house values so we 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 took down all this data and what we really wanted to see is what's going up in price and are those prices sticky or flexible? Sticky prices are like car insurance. They're like uh, cost of college. They're like house prices for the most part. Mm -hmm. they, they tend to rise slowly, steadily, and they don't really drop in price. They may not rise in price either, but they tend to be very dependable. Gasoline is the exact, and airfares are the exact opposite. Right. You pay four bucks a gallon for gas today. Two months from now, it may be two bucks a gallon. Airfares are all over the place. They oscillate up mm -hmm. and down. Right. So so we look through all these data data points and we understand their contribution. Right. Some contribute a lot more than others. And we want to understand what is driving inflation. Are they sticky or are they flexible? And when you dive into it, there's, you know, used cars and gasoline was over 50 percent of the increase in CPI. Gasoline, we know what's going on there, right? It's trading back up to 70. They're not producing as much until a week or two ago. OPEC wasn't increasing production. At the same time, demand for gasoline is back to where it was. You drive on the roads and the roads are crowded. People are flying again, so jet fuel is being used, right? So that's not surprising. And it also a year ago was very – it was negative for a little while, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not gasoline, but crude oil prices. So it's year over year change is massive. But if, if gasoline prices stay where they're at for the next year, the year over year change is going to be zero, right? And again, the Fed wants 2% inflation. Used cars, same thing. There's, they're not making new cars. No one's trading in cars. So there's no used cars. At the same time, the rental companies are back in business. They're trying to buy cars. And it's just a mess, but we know it's temporary, right? right? So when you kind of work through all these things, it's transportation services, which are rental cars, airfares, it's gasoline, and it's used cars, and it's shelter. So three of those four are going to come back down and probably be deflationary, at least on a statistical basis. And we come back from the break. We'll wrap this up about what this all means for you and your money right here with Michael Leibowitz on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com. Do you know what you don't know when hiring and retaining quality employees? Compensation is more than just wages. It's personal time off, the vacation days, healthcare benefits, a 401k. Do you know what's important to them? Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Let us show you how to make the most of an affordable, effective package that will deliver true value for your business and your employees. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Bulls win in bull markets. Bears win in bear markets. Eagles soar above and take advantage of opportunity. Let us help you soar as you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Yeah! And welcome back to the show this morning. It is uh, 647. He's getting ready to wrap up this Thursday edition with Michael Leibowitz live from vacation. <laughs> Got to get you working Doesn't on your vacation. Doesn't seem like vacation. I know, right? Got you working anyway, but this is too important. Uh, so, look, all right, a couple of things here. Look. Inflation to become deflation. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. There's you know, a lot of concern here is that we're going to have the rampant stagflationary environment of the 1970s, you know, spiking inflation with no wage growth. Bit of misnomers there is that, first of all, back in the 70s, we were primarily a hugely manufacturing-based economy. So the, the what we call the multiplier effect of manufacturing is about five to one versus services, which basically have a very, very low multiplier, less than one uh, in the economy. And that's because services suppress wages, ultimately. Um, right. If you real quick, Lance, yeah. if you think about what inflation would be like today, if we were in that economy, given everything that's happened in the last year, we'd probably be running 20 percent, not 5 sure. percent. Exactly. I mean, it would be worse than the 70s. Exactly. But, you know, the way we're structured now, this is going to rapidly turn back into deflation. Um, you know, that's and again, let's go back to what we talked about earlier. Here's the Fed doing one hundred and twenty billion dollars a month. They've got interest rates at zero. They're trying to get inflation to be above 2%, and they're trying to get full employment below 3%, but they could very quickly find themselves back into a problem of all of a sudden seeing declining inflationary pressures and unemployment actually going back up as we get later into this year and, and stimulus fades off, and, and particularly if there's no more infrastructure deals or et cetera, the, you know, the kind of the big package that they're talking about, this $3.5 if that doesn't get passed, which looks like it may not. Um, the Fed's got really no room to move here in terms of, you know, doing more policy. Right. And let's be honest, a lot of their policy isn't helping, right? We know that the intended purpose is to lower rates so people and companies take out loans and they spend money. Loan growth isn't growing. Right. There is no loan growth. It's all going into the financial markets directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's where the money is going and it's not helping the economy. So, I, you know, I think you're right. The deflationary pressures we're going to I think house prices are going to start slipping in a month or two. We're already seeing signs that supply is catching up quickly. Demand has fallen off. We see it in a number of dis different sources that will provide a deflationary bias 
to inflation. We're still going to have inflation, but it'll start pulling it down. Same with gasoline prices as we move month by month. Used car prices are ready. You know, used car prices fell a little bit last month. Right. They'll probably happen more. So the Fed's going to be dealing with, you know, I don't think we're going to have big inflation. You get big inflation if wage growth really picks up and if consumers believe that there's going to be inflation. And right now, we're not seeing that, right. but that can change. Well, and that's and that's one thing about wage growth, right? So you know, it's there was a, all this hope that you know, as people came back to work, there's this huge labor shortage apparently because we have record number of job openings. We've had record number of job openings for years, and wages didn't grow. And you know, this is the there's a there's a big problem with how we report job openings and and how they're because these are surveys, these are guesses at how many job openings there are, and there's a, there's a lot of fault in that measure of job openings, because if it was true, then given the number of job openings, everybody should be working, right? As you said earlier, there's, there's more, there's more than one job for every person in the country. So we should have right. everybody working. We should all have point. two jobs. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of people are because we're starting to, in that service economy that we're talking about, right? This is the problem, right? You know, people aren't getting high skilled jobs as much as they're getting lower wage paying leisure hospitality grubhub delivers you know uh, uber drivers those type of things those are lower wage paying jobs those are lower skill jobs and that's where a bulk of the jobs are being created right now versus high skilled labor like in the oil and gas industry engineering those type of things right. and companies are spending a lot of money right now increasing technology to limit the number of people they have to hire and to suppress wages because if I can replace you know workers with technology, um, things get uh, a lot more cost productive. In fact, we have the, the largest corporate profit margins right now in history because companies are becoming much more efficient about their labor, which is suppressing wage growth. Right. And I actually just saw a graph on that on wage growth versus corporate profits and they're complete opposites. Right. You, mm -hmm. you corporations can either make money or they can pay their employees. I mean, that's there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> but but there the is a very strong <laughs> there's a very strong negative correlation to the two. And they know it. Yeah. Look, they, they're the first to tell you that they won't they won't publicly say it, but they know that their wages are probably in many companies the largest expense. Well, no, it is. I mean, in, in every company, payroll is the, the, the largest cost next to health care benefits and you know, right. uh, et cetera. And, and yeah, companies are opting to do what they can to suppress those costs as they should because they've got to protect their profit margins. But it's, you know, this is why we see, again, you know, we go back to, let's go back to talking about the riots. Let's go back to talking about the social unrest. You know, look, we can all say this is, you know, people are rioting because of this reason or that reason. But in reality, the reason they're rioting is because they're upset about their life. They don't really understand why their life is the way it is. They don't really understand the pressures that they have when they can't make ends meet. And so it's it's got to be somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. But, you know, when you see this type of wealth inequality, which is there's a direct correlation. I've published I've published charts on this. If you take a look at the expansion of the Fed balance sheet and the breakdown of net worth of households, there's a direct correlation between those right. at the top and the, versus those at the bottom. Those at the bottom, the bottom 80% are not participating in the economy. No wonder they're upset and rioting. And that's why they're demanding $15 an hour minimum wage. That's why they want social welfare. They want UBI checks. They want you know more stimulus and more support from the government because that's the only way they're, they feel like they're going to get something. They want financial justice. Correct. And, and go back and listen to what we talked about last Thursday. Our, I mean, our podcast, it's not just me and you, Lance. Right. The, we had Fed people on. We had experts, the head of the FDIC, leading economists, the biggest investors telling you the same thing. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the problem. And this is, I mean, you know, we're stuck here at the Fed's crosshairs. We care about everything they do because of their effect on markets. But we also care, I think, as human beings and Americans because of the effect that they're having on our society and our children's futures. Yeah. And, and again, and, and if you do want to hear that uh, complete podcast, you can just simply go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on our newsletter link right there at the top of the page. Easy to get to. Um, if you click on that link, you'll see our newsletter from this past weekend. But in that newsletter is a clip of that entire 
conversation Mike and I had about the Federal Reserve. And again, like you said, Jeremy Grantham, uh, Howard Marks, numerous Fed speakers, Mohammed um, Elarian and others, you know, talking about the inequality and the problems that the Fed has created through monetary policy in the economy and, and really in the markets. And, and really, if you had a politician that could coherently speak to this stuff and do it in a way that, you know, everyone could understand in layman's terms, I think there would be much more of an uprise against the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. and the, probably the banking system. Yeah, but but uh, but again, look, you know, whose benefit is that in, right? If I'm in if I'm in Congress, I'm wealthy, right? So I don't want to up in uh, the I, apple I cart, right? Uh, if I'm part of Congress, I can inside trade, and it's completely legal. So, you know, why do I want to change anything? And I think this is the problem. You know, the Fed is supposed to be independent, but they're not independent. They are controlled by Congress, the White House in particular. And we saw this uh, under the Trump administration. We saw this clearly between the Fed and President Trump. In September of 2018, the Federal Reserve was hiking interest rates. We were nowhere near the what they call the natural rate of the economy. And as soon as the market tumbled, which is exactly what should happen if you're tightening policy, um, the market's going to come down. You're going to start to equate valuations with the economy and with real earnings and what's going on. But as soon as that happened, President Trump's all over the Fed. The Fed can immediately reverse his course and falls in line with the, with the Trump administration. Janet Yellen now with the Biden administration, exactly the same thing, toting the water for the, for the presidency. Not necessarily doing what's good for the economy or for the average person, but doing really what's great for the top 1% of income earners. All right. For her career. Correct. For, for Biden potentially getting elected, for the Democrats winning the House and Senate in two years. That's right. what matters to them. For the corporations that lobby to them to make sure they're happy so they get the money so they can run a good election. Right. Wall Street. Exactly the same way. Uh, but but right. again, this is why, you know, maybe the Treasury needs to be completely in, uh, an independent organization. Maybe the Fed needs to be a completely independent organization that has no member banks, right? Mm -hmm. The banks aren't getting a dividend from the Fed every year uh, in the billions of dollars of range. Um, right. You know, that's the only way I think ultimately that you get policy that's truly good for the overall economy is to start separating these things out, making them truly independent with no oversight from you know, those particularly in power. Right. But again, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pipe dreams. But I'm just saying, if, if you really wanted good policy, that's how you'd have to get there. Exactly. Ain't so. going to happen, though, Lance. So, well, uh, I'll give you I'll give you last words since you're on vacation. We got about uh, 30 seconds. So uh, what's your last word of the day? I'm going to the beach in what? <laughs> Would you say 30 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> How's the first, cup of cup of coffee first. Then now, no, where are you? You're in Maryland. We're in Dewey Beach, Delaware, which is uh, on the Delmarva Peninsula, yeah. right on the beach. We're about right about two blo three blocks behind me is the ocean. Well, see, if you would have uh, traveled to San Francisco and were on the beach in San Francisco, and if you ran out of stuff, you just go into the local CVS and rob it and, and <laughs> you take what it, you it need. It would be much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Completely pays for the airfare. Exactly. Um, anyway. Well, all if right. you're in Dewey Beach, come and visit me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, wraps up the show today. Michael, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Okay, Paul, on you. vacation. We appreciate it. Be sure to get by the website. Michael's article is up on the website talking about inflation. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. And, of course, this weekend, our newsletter will be out again. And be sure and get by our YouTube channel because you can get all of our videos, our updates, markets, uh, three minutes of markets and money, more. It's all there for you to help you be a better investor with your money. We'll see you tomorrow on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day. Monday, 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 always Sunday, in the rich man's world. While the things have to tell, if I had a little Monday, it's a rich man's world. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll hop on in half an hour for the call. I got a few things I got to do before then anyway.
So we'll talk about those options that we threw around the other day. Okay, see you both. Talking to myself. Damn it. No, I'll, I'll, I'll switch to one more.
Okay. Yeah, I can't believe you do that. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to Three Minutes on Markets and Money. And of course, the markets are off to the races. Of, well, no, 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 really, that's not actually a true statement. Good morning. Welcome to Three Minutes on Markets and Money. The day after the Federal Reserve talks about potentially tapering quantitative easing. What does that mean for markets going forward? That's going to be the big question. But the focus right now, of course, remains stocks and earnings, and particularly the big boys in the index, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook. Um, you know, looking at some of these stocks in particular is interesting about what's going on. Apple reported very, very good earnings, corrected over the last couple of days. But again, it had a big run-up going actually into earnings. So there wasn't really a lot of upside left for the stock at that point. We've got a double top here in Apple with support right here at the 20-day moving average. If the stock is unable to hold on to that today, there is a real chance that we're going to see a bigger correction. Apple back towards the 50-day moving average. Again, not the end of the world. The stock is getting oversold here on a couple basis, but we do have a solid MACD sell signal in place, suggesting there is more risk to the stock in particular. One of the big movers in the markets today in particular is going to be Facebook after announcing their earnings, beating on both top and bottom line yesterday, but the outlook was what was most concerning talking about a big deceleration in revenue growth going forward. Again, you know, the big problem that Facebook has is that they are a, a <clears throat> the biggest problem for Facebook is they have a demographic time bomb in their earnings going forward as, as even as my kids say, Facebook's for old people. As old people stop using Facebook, uh, <laughs> as people start to migrate off of Facebook through termination. Uh, that's going to be a problem going forward for Facebook. This morning, though, Facebook is going to open down here a bit. But look, the socket had a really big run up here. Again, going into earnings, not giving a lot of room here for an upside surprise, really, because prices are already factored in all the best news potential for that company as well. And this is really kind of a common theme that we're going to see across a lot of these stocks. Microsoft, of course, also reported very good earnings. Stock performing well here, of course. But again, despite good earnings really you know, hitting top and bottom lines, stock really kind of topping here. Again, some risk uh, to the stock in the, in the near term, particularly if we start to see more weakness coming over the course of the next few months, um, really especially we see more market weakness in general coming over the next couple of months heading into the Jackson Hole Summit with the Federal Reserve. Um, on the, <clears throat> where my time was? Uh, about 30 seconds One of the stocks we're watching right now is after AMD announced really good earnings yesterday on their chip front, and the stock was up about 7% yesterday. NVIDIA, which is going to announce earnings in August, is setting up here, currently running underneath the 20-day moving average here, but have a set of rising bottoms, typically just triggering a buy signal, suggests there's more upside lift here potentially to NVIDIA if they have good earnings, which I suspect they will. So this is something that we're looking at potentially for an entry point in our portfolios. Haven't pulled that trigger just yet, but we're going to be talking about that over the next couple of days. And uh, lastly, one of the big boys kind of left on the block is Amazon. Amazon has a very important kind of pennant pattern building here. Lower tops, rising bottoms, um, depending on earnings, this could either be a big mover to the upside or a big mover to the downside. So again, a little bit of risk here in Amazon at the point, but money flow signals are about to turn to a buy, still on a MACD sell signal. So be a little bit cautious here with Amazon um, just because of simply where it is currently right now. There is risk to earnings because of slower consumer spending, right? Stimulus checks have run out. Outlook may be weaker because of lack of stimulus and support. We'll see what Amazon has to say. No guarantees here again, but watch this kind of breakout pattern. It can either be good or bad. There's not really a clear indication at this point which side of the bet you should take. And of course, lastly, Comcast out this morning uh, talking about they had very strong revenue growth and uh, we're seeing subscriber growth very strong here as people are moving back to cable. Um, this stock has been consolidating here for quite some time. Again, on a buy signal here, close to triggering a buy signal on the 
MACDs as well. Kind of really struggling with that at the moment. But today's earnings uh, stock is going to move to the upside here a bit. If we can break out of this consolidation that this stock has been in over the last several months, you could see some better upside again in Comcast. Another position we may revisit. We've owned this stock before, done very well with it, and something we may revisit here in the near future. That's three minutes on markets and money. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time right here at realinvestmentadvice.com. There. So now we talked about individual stocks for those yahoos. <laughs>